There's so many things that I wish that I could have told you. There's so many things that I wish we, that we missed. When I look at Acts chapter 1 through 10, we called it digging in, an in-depth look at being God's people. I thought, oh my gosh, it's embarrassing we called it that because we so barely scratched the surface on what it's like to be God's people. And if you were honest, you probably thought that too. We were preaching along, you're like, I got so many things that we could be talking about, we could be inspired by. But we made an agreement, actually, didn't we, that we couldn't say everything from up here but that you'd read along, that you'd be studying, that you'd be looking at the passages we couldn't touch on, and you'd be writing your own notes about what it means to be God's people. Did you read along? Remember that agreement? Did you make that agreement with me? Did you make that agreement? We were going to read along, and, we're, and some of you are going to study too. And in fact, I've been giving out some Bibles. I've been giving out study Bibles. These Bibles are so amazing because here you can read along, and there's notes in them to help you understand what the text means, and then there's charts and graphs and pictures. There is a picture in here. Uh, it, that I just saw this week that I thought was the coolest thing. It was a picture of the, the, the spot where Jesus was baptized on the Jordan River, they, where they think it might be. It's so great. Do you just not, hello, any other nerds in the house? Do you just, this book, this kind of thing, this study Bible is so great because, um, you know, you, uh, I, like I've said, you carry it on the bus and everybody wonders what's going on. No, you don't carry it on the bus. You keep it at your desk at home and you have a little quiet time in it. And uh, I've been giving these away because I think they're so fun to people who, 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 who get them think they're just the best. Like there's introductions to all the books so that you can go, wait, so who's Isaiah? Like what's the deal? What's the timeline? So great. Anybody want one of these? So here's the thing. Here's what I, look at all the hands that went up. So here's the thing. This is my last copy and it's mine. But last week somebody said to me, hey, anybody who wants one of those books, let's make sure they get one. And so this is Oprah. You get a Bible, and you get a Bible, and you get a Bible. So today, if you want one of these, and not just because you're like, well, I could probably go find one and buy one, and it's you know, 35 bucks or whatever the deal is. like, Not because you're thinking that would be helpful, because right now 35 bucks is hard to come by, and for a lot of us that's true right now. But not just because of that, but because you know you'll never get around to it, because like, you just, you're like, if somebody just gave that to me, it'd be so great. If you want a Bible, take the white card out of the seat back in front of you, and write Bible on it, okay, and your name, and your email address, and then you put that in the offering plate, and we will have them for you here, okay, you got it, do not, you're like, oh, I don't need that, I can somebody, I know, let's applaud for that, like, okay, we really would love to give you this gift, and uh, you really utilize it, and if you're like those, if you're like me, like, no, but I don't, you don't need to, you don't, really, receive God's love right now for you, all right, white card, Bible, name and email address, and we'll have them up here for you next week, okay? Does this sound all right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Who was it that said they wanted this one right here? Because I'm just going to give you mine. Who is it? Right here. Okay. Oh, Stephanie, I'm so glad to give you that. There you go. There might be some personal notes in there, so please, if you see any confession of sin, just keep it between us, all right? All right. That's our final, some final uh, introductory stuff on the book of Acts. Hey, look at this scripture in Acts chapter 2. Because here's some final thoughts. I'm going to root it in this verse. If you were to take the first 10 verses, 10 chapters of Acts and go, so what, was I, what were we trying to get at here? There's some stuff in here that I just want you to see. Uh, starting at verse 37, and then we're going to look at verse 38 and 39 real quick before I camp on one more uh, thing I want to teach on before we're done with this series. This is uh, Acts 2, 37 through uh, 38, 39. And 
It starts when the people had heard this, meaning at the beginning of Acts 1, we've got Jesus ascending into heaven, and then we've got this church being birthed, the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2. We've got the, uh, uh, the church starting to gather together and figure out who is it that we're going to be as uh, his people. The Spirit comes in power, and crazy miracles are happening, and God's stirring, and the church is born. And at the end of cha- Acts chapter 2, watching this all go on, everybody was watching this, and they're like, what do we do? And I think Art preached on this text earlier in our series, but brothers, what shall we do? And then this next couple verses, and Peter replied, and this is the verse I would have you memorize or camp on, verse 38 and 39. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is sort of the crux of being God's people. It's all embedded in here. I've got this highlighted. Look at this next slide. We'll go through these highlighted slides rather quickly. But repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus is the beginning. It's the calling. Being God's church was about being called into turning away from a life without him into turning into a life toward turning into a life with him. This is my sermon last week on conversion or on becoming a Christian. If you didn't see that sermon, I want you to go see that sermon. Apparently, it's been shared a whole bunch around the internet because we got all kind of crazy people commenting on it, which is interesting. Go look at that on our website. You know you're getting out there in the world when crazy people are like, hey, I'd like my message to be on here. But anyway... Uh, this is where we have this paradigm shift from being with, uh, without Jesus to being with Jesus, to be living our life on our own, to walking with God, to being, uh, living the life suffering under the weight of our sin and our brokenness, to being forgiven and set free and in a relationship with God forever. Darkness to light, blind to seeing, lost and found with him, without him and with him. Repent and be baptized. Turn around, remember we said, and be in the, and in the name of Jesus. And there's this every one of you part. It's for every one of us. Every one of us is called to, to settle the issue, to say, have I done this? Is this what I'm about? Is this where a choice that I've made that I will be one of Jesus' followers? This is what it's about to be part of God's church that will turn and be in a relationship with him. And every one of us is faced with that decision and that decision it comes about, what comes about out of that is this forgiveness of sins. This next highlight, the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of sins, meaning that we were once separated from God because of this sin, and God has now removed that. Jesus removed it because of what he did on the cross. The church is full of people who have been forgiven, people set free. And we're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this as well in Acts. We'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to lead and guide and empower us. So we're filled people. We're supernatural beings. And so the church is the Holy Spirit indwelt group of people who become the presence of God in the world. It's such great news. So this is all what we've been studying. This is all what Acts is about. This, I wanted to just point out this, say, boy, if there's anything we missed, it's probably embedded in one of these concepts. And this promise, verse 39, it says it's for, for you and your children, but it's also for those who are far off, 
what we find at the end of the little section that we've been studying in Acts and what you'll find in the rest of the book of Acts is that that good news was also not just for me and not just for my people, but for my sphere of influence and my city and my county and my state and my country and people that are far off as well. The good news goes out. It's not to be hoarded, but it's to be given out to the whole world. And that's the book of Acts. And by the way, it's for all whom the Lord our God will call. That last phrase is so great. We looked at it last week that God is intimately involved in every single human being's existence and is wooing them into a relationship with himself. The church is about the people who God has tapped and said, let me initiate this relationship with you. Come walk with me. Well, that would be it. That way we could have done that. We could have saved 10 weeks, but that could have been the whole thing. Maybe if you're a Bible person, it would be a great idea to memorize chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Peter says, this is the story. They said, what do we do, Peter? What do we do? How do we live? How are we the people of God? He said, you turn and you enter into a relationship with Jesus. Every single last one of you face that decision and receive this freedom, this forgiveness of sin, and the Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell you. That's for you and increasing concentric circles of good news to the whole world. So come. That's who we are. Isn't it great news? This sermon, this whole sermon series was not meant to be a burden on you, not meant to be a, ah, oh, but to be this, look at who we are and look at what God has done and let's celebrate it, live fully into it, lean into it and uh, be God's people. Well, that's sort of the summary in the whole thing. And then last week we talked about becoming a Jesus follower and I gave you five things and then there's, here's a sixth. And before we put the sixth one up, I just, there's a sixth one that I couldn't go without because I, I didn't, I actually had it in my sermon last week and realized uh, on Saturday morning, I think, I think I got to have this be its own standalone. But this, these five things that we talked about, about being God's people, about being Jesus followers, this was that whole idea about the paradigm shift from becoming a non-follower to becoming a follower, to becoming a Christian. And I hope that that message was uh, encouraging to you. I hope that some of you settled that issue. We had invited people up who needed to resettle that issue or settle that issue for the first time. And we prayed for them. By the way, if you were one of those people, I'd love to have you write me a little note. Hey, I came up front and here's what's going on for me. So we can pray for you and encourage you and, and, uh, and we can connect. So I'd love to have you send me an email uh, about that. But there's this one more that I think is significant as well, and we see it in Acts 2.37 that we just read, and we see it in our Acts text last month, uh, last week that we didn't uh, get to. And look at verse, uh, well, here's the point. No, no, that shouldn't be it. Sorry. Is that my old, well, I don't know why that's there. Six should be blank there, the next six. Hmm. That is awesome that it didn't cut and paste right. It's the language about baptism. If you look at chapter uh, 9, at the end of Saul's story that we looked at, so go back to that verse, you guys. At the end of verse 9, uh, verse, uh, chapter 9. At the end of that story, remember that guy came and he prayed for Saul, and then it says that immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes that's signifying that he could now see, and he could see again, and he got up and he was baptized. This point that I want to make this week, this baptism thing, is that, that as part of being a follower of Christ, that we couldn't talk about being the church without having this message about baptism, that baptism is a God-given, significant part of having turned to Jesus. Baptism is a God-given, significant part of having turned to Jesus. 
It's part of the story. It's interesting. And I couldn't get away from it because it seems kind of pedantic or something. I, I don't know what it seems like to me, but it, just, it seems less romantic than all the others until we really look at it. But the truth of the matter is we see it in Acts 2.37. He said, repent and what? Be baptized. Turn away from God and then be baptized. And then these other things are going to happen. And then when you start to see it unfold in the story, you see baptism is a part of, of you know, we looked at chapter 8 and we talked about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and all of a sudden he's like, well, hey, there's some water. Let me get baptized. Then we talked about Saul's story and all the things that it teaches us about conversion. And then he got up and he was baptized. And then if I preached on Acts chapter 10 this week, which we originally scheduled, we talk about Cornelius, and who was a, not a Jewish believer, and how he and all his people got to hear about uh, the good news, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, and Paul was like, uh, uh, Peter was like, wow. Looks like the Gentiles, the Gentiles, get to be in a relationship with God. Like, what? And then they all got baptized. So baptism is a God-given significant part of this uh, journey. Now, I want to do some history about baptism a little bit and just talk about it. My goal today is hopefully for you. I looked back at my notes. I could never find one sermon that I just taught on baptism. Now, I'm sure we've done it, or maybe one of the other pastors did it, but maybe not. We've mentioned it. We've talked about it in a baptism service. We've mentioned it when we've introduced people uh, or invited people to join a baptism service, but I don't know that we've ever taught on baptism, so I want to go through just teaching a little bit of baptism, and I'm hoping that what's going to happen in this teaching about baptism is that you will be inspired to remember, those of you that have been baptized will be inspired to remember your baptism and the significant God-given part that it plays in you owning your identity as God's people. And then maybe for some of you who are like, I'm not, I don't even know what baptism is. I've never even considered baptism, that it would enlighten you as to what that might be for you as a Christ follower. Here's some history. First, we know, of course, that, that, uh, that all over the world, water cleansing rituals is sort of a popular thing in all kinds of religions. It always has been. I mean, if you just, you know, just think of the picture of devout Hindus taking a dip in the Ganges River, like that's part of that. It's been, it's sort of embedded the water, symbolism of water and cleansing. Of course, it, it makes some sense to us that, that that would be all over religious history. But the ancient Israelites also had sort of this um, uh, rituals that stressed uh, cleansing with water. And it, it was stressing being clean before God. So now we can start to see this the ways in which we probably are starting to think about the idea of water. The Jews at the time of Jesus had a ritual baptism for those who were seeking to become Jewish people who were not of the Jewish race, but who wanted to be Jewish believers, God-fears, and there was a ritual of, of baptism for them. And then different groups of Jewish believers during that time had uh, rituals where they were baptized, and so they have mikvahs. Have you heard of that word? It's a Jewish word. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bath, and all over Israel is there are ruins from right around the time of Jesus where religious Jewish people, whether they were proselytes coming into to the Jewish faith or they were Jewish people who were in an orthodox way wanting to bathe themselves to proclaim their cleanness before God, they would go down into the waters and come up clean. This is what was happening during this time. And so John the Baptist then came and was preaching a baptism, it says in Mark chapter 1, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. It wasn't necessarily just a cleansing ritual, but he was saying, let's come prepare our hearts. Let's come put our hearts in a place where we would prepare for the Messiah who was coming. He was the one that started connecting it to the Messiah coming, saying he's coming, people, and we got to be ready. Our hearts got to be ready to receive him. And then, of course, Jesus came, was baptized by John to publicly identify himself as the one about whom John was preaching. And then Jesus gave new meaning to this teaching 
kind of co-opted it, and he instituted it for his followers at the end of his time on earth. We know this from the Great Commission. We've got the scripture up there John, uh, from Matthew uh, 28, where Jesus said in the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, but not baptizing them for this religious ritual of cleansing, not baptizing them for repentance, uh, like John did, but more, baptizing them, what does it say? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. What he's saying there is, if people from now on are going to come and follow me and be my disciple, they will be baptized into this allegiance with the whole triune God, the love of the Father, the salvation of the Son, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. This baptism will be something super significant for followers of Christ as they proclaim and experience their allegiance to God in the whole triune uh, manifestation. He was initiating them into this relationship. And so then the early church began immediately baptizing those who had come to faith in Jesus. As the good news spread everywhere, as I just told you about, everywhere it happened, including the Gentiles, as soon as people put their faith in Jesus, they were baptized as an encounter of allegiance with God. So it's super powerful as you see it starting to come out. In scripture. So this is the idea then that this baptism is a God-given significant part of having turned to Jesus. There it is. That's, that's the language I was looking for. It's a God-given significant part of having turned to Jesus. Let's talk about it a little bit more. What does it symbolize? What, is it, what does baptism symbolize? It's a symbol of, of washing for sure, right? Uh, of, 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 uh, uh, of cleansing, I mean, there's so many scriptures about, um, I just thought of a couple, I was just even just writing them down this morning when I was sitting in the front row, you know, Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great uh, compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, um, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this, this baptism is a symbol of washing, right? Listen to this in Isaiah 1.18. This, this reminds me of last week's sermon as well. Come, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Remember my point last week was, have you settled the issue? Like, am I a Christ follower or am I not a Christ follower? Have I settled it? God says that through the prophet Isaiah. Come, let us settle the issue, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they, anybody know, shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they will be like wood. So there's this, clearly this idea of washing as part of the symbolism of um, of baptism. And so the baptismal waters represent that our sin has been washed away. There's also in the meaning of the word, now the, the word baptizo or uh, the root word is bapto. Actually, the root word bapto means to immerse or to dip in dye. And so there's this idea of dipping in dye. Like that's a, 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 an image that's there because they would take this garment and it's the opposite of the washing metaphor, isn't it? But they would dip a white garment into this indigo dye or something and pull it out and it is something completely different. Now, isn't that an image? Isn't that a symbolism of coming to Christ? 
that we were once without him, and we go into the waters of baptism, the symbol is, and we come out completely new and different. We were once a white garment, and now we are a blue garment. Like, it's something different than how we started. And that symbolizes that conversion thing that we talked about last week. And then, it's, of course, also, it's a symbol of death and resurrection. This is a, this is a picture of the, of the garden tomb that they think very well might be the place. It matches the description of the place where Jesus was laid in the tomb. That is cool. I thought this was going to be gimmicky when we were in Israel. I thought I was going to go to this place and go, I don't think so. How much did it cost to get into this deal? And when they talked about the evidence that this might actually be it or very close to it, it was a very powerful experience to actually walk in there and, uh, and, and like that was the place man, where it, it could have been where it happened. It was amazing. But, but, but baptism is a symbol of resurrection, right? Of death and resurrection, of going down into death and coming back, going down into the grave and then coming out alive, dying to ourselves and, and, and being alive to God, dying to the old way of living without him and coming up to a new life with him. This is why, uh, how baptism is pictured throughout the teaching in the New Testament. Here's a verse from uh, Romans chapter 6. I don't think I put a slide on it, but uh, Paul says, you, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism is a picture of washing of our sins, of dying, becoming dying, D-Y-E-I-N-G, dying, becoming something utterly different, and it's a picture of death to life. That's what the symbolism is of baptism. So what do we do with that? Why should we, why would we, are we to be baptized? Why would God give us that? And, and, And for some of you, how are we to remember our baptism? Like, what do we do with that as a, a, a symbol in our world? Well, here's a few words that I want to go through before we finish today. Here's what I think about this question. So, so why are we to be baptized? One, we obey. We obey. His command is that we become disciples who are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's something that Jesus said. It's the very last words of Jesus. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I'm going to be with you in this. It's a big deal. Baptism's a big deal. Jesus is like, you know that baptism thing that you've seen done in various ways and various forms throughout the history? Here's the deal. I'm co-opting that. It's going to be a picture of my washing and my changing and my resurrecting. And I want you to do it. Wow. It's a big deal. I was actually a little shocked at just putting word capital black letters, we obey, on there. Because we're just kind of not used to that language, are we? We don't really get that thing, yet we talk about Jesus as our Lord, and we talk about the Lord leading us, and in some ways, we kind of get used to softening the language a little bit, but there's kind of a thing here that we go, now the Lord said, listen, if you're going to follow me, there's a significant, God-given significant part of, of being a Christ follower, and I've instituted this experience for you. And of course, if he did, then it's for our good and for his glory, and he wants us to do it. And so why we'd consider being baptized or, 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 or why we did get baptized is just part of saying, okay, I'm following you. And one of the first steps I'm going to do is to step through into this ritual that you've asked us to do, this experience that we're having. Two, why, we, why are we to be baptized? Well, we identify ourselves. We're identifying ourselves as a new creation. This is, this is an identification with Jesus and his death and resurrection, as we talked about a minute ago. And we're symbolizing our death to sin and our resurrection to life. And what we're symbolizing is this now defines me. We're identifying this is me. 
Out of the waters, I'm going to come up, bapto, dip, dipped into dye, something completely different. And so there's something really powerful about this experience that we would identify ourselves in the waters as I died and I'm alive. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to Christ. I'm, I've lost my old way and I'm in this new way with Jesus. And so God says, do this as a way of, of, of imprinting on your identity who you are. We often set up that little baptismal here, and if you've been at a baptism service or you've gone through it, you know, you come out of that water and you basically stand up dripping wet going, I am one who has been given life from Jesus. It's rooting our identity in the truth of this good news that is very conceptual and spiritual, but we mark it. Three, we proclaim. We're proclaiming something. We're proclaiming publicly that we're Christ followers and that we're part of his church. It's a very public. This is why a lot of people get anxious about baptism because they're like, oh my gosh, it's so public. And the answer is, yeah. In fact, the church for its whole history, you may have heard this language, the church has called it a rite of initiation, R-I-T-E, a rite of initiation. It's the entrance into the church. It's the marker where people come and go and seek and dabble and wonder. And, and, and yet at some point, they come to this place where they get before the church and they go, I'm in. I'm one of you. And you're one of me. And I'm, I'm part of the church. It is a very public proclamation of not only our identity, but how our identity lives out as being one of the church. And so we're saying it, here I am. Any of you have gone through it know that's what it feels like as well. You're like, okay, I'm doing this in front of all these folks that have done it as well. And we're identifying together that we're in the body of Christ. So we proclaim. Four, we get physical. Let's get physical. As we know, decisions are mental, and spiritual work is affective and flows. And, but when we do something physical, it becomes very concrete. And so this embeds in our memories. It's the genius of Jesus to say, do this ritual to settle your identity and proclaim it to people, that it becomes a physical, you know, our, it embeds in our heart and our soul, our mind, and really in our muscle memory and our bodies that this is who we are. And then fifth, something miraculous happens. Something miraculous happens when we get baptized. That's why we call it a sacrament. Sacrament technically means, and when it was started to be used by the church, it meant just a sacred vow, not just, but it meant a sacred vow. But it came to mean something so sacred that's happening that God came and met us with his grace in a very unique way that could not be done, could not be accomplished. What God wanted to accomplish in that moment couldn't be done apart from that moment and that experience. And so when we come to the table, we believe that God meets us there in a unique and special and mysterious way. When we come to the waters of baptism, God wants to do a deep work in us that's probably unexplainable, unarticulatable. Um, <laughs> but it can only be done in that obedience of that moment. Something miraculous happens, we believe, in baptism. So all that to say God gave us baptism as a foundational experience upon which we build our new lives. We build our lives. Baptism's God-given, significant, foundation. Do this as a way to identify, to, to remind, to live, to walk, to, to remember who you are. 
and proclaim it to everybody around you. It's a very significant thing. I'm going to give you this illustration before I lead to our action item and then we're done. This, is, it's this idea of, of God giving us this as a foundational experience upon which to build this new life in Christ, I don't think it's unlike a marriage ceremony. I think that's probably the best analogy, and I'm not alone in that. There's a lot, of, a lot written and reflected on about this. It's not unlike a marriage ceremony, which is the foundation, foundational experience upon which we build the rest of our life as in a couple, as a couple. Think about how a love relationship works. Nobody can explain how love is born, how love begins, and nobody actually can compel love to grow. Similarly in our relationship with God, you can't really quite explain that. You know that it just sort of happens, and sometimes it happens on super flimsy reasons. People come to Jesus because of the way in which uh, the light shone on the water at one day on the beach when they were reflecting deeply and they somehow came to believe in God and knew they couldn't justify that. But it was something that began in them. Similarly, you can tell stories about how you first fell in love with your spouse and often they're very shallow. <laughs> but from that, things start to grow. So we don't know how, to, how this love relationship begins, but here's what happens in the process. We start the process at some point of finally admitting admitting to ourselves that we're in love. This is the same with God. That somehow we go, you know what? Um, something's happening in me. This is the beginning. Something's happening in me. And we admit, I'm not just going to go on as, it, as life always was, and I'm not just going to go walk past this relationship. There's something stirring within me, and I have to admit that that, in fact, is true. But love unexpressed can go no further, right? Well, of high school stories of not having the courage to tell her that I liked her, and we passed in the hall, and then her family moved to Dubuque. <laughs> so love unexpressed can't go any further, and so not only do we start with admitting to ourselves that we're in love, but at some point we begin to admit to the object of our affection that we are in fact in love with them, and now we're starting to grow in the intimacy and the freedom of a relationship. We admit to them. This is us saying to God, I don't know all that this means. And I don't know where this is headed, but I have to tell you, Father, that I love you. And I want to live my life with you. And I don't know much more than that at this point. And we start to grow in that relationship. But there's even a deeper and a further deepening of this relationship. And that is not only admitting to ourselves, I think I'm in love. And not only admitting to an object of our love, like I think I love you. But there comes a time where that proclamation becomes a public statement and it defines us. I mean, when you admit to someone you love them, man, you can kind of hear the sound of the door closing behind you like you're in it. But when you proclaim it publicly, like a marriage ceremony, you have now said, deliberations are over. The courtship is finished. I belong to you and it is my identity. And you start the day one way and you end the day a different way. And that's what baptism is, church. It defines our existence in such a substantial way that our options are closed. Deliberation is over. Courting is finished. I belong to him. And I've expressed my, I've admitted to myself I love him. And I've expressed my love to him. And now I'm going physically and publicly proclaiming that this is who I am. It's public confession is so critical existentially that God has marked this particular ritual for expressing it. He 
said, this is a doorway into a permanent relationship with me. That's baptism. I love that he gave it to us, and I love that we get to stop and remember it. So now as an action item, Ben, come up because we want to make sure we have time to worship in the, the rest of our morning here, but this is our action item. First, I'm going to call you this week, you guys, to rehearse your baptism. To rehearse your baptism, to go back and to, because our memories of how we came to love Jesus are, are sometimes a little fuzzy. It's hard to get ourselves back in that mindset. And by the way, decisions are mental, and mental decisions are often subject to review, often subject to review on something less than the facts. But this kind of commitment roots us. Everybody remembers their baptism. Everybody remembers, those of us that are married, remember our wedding day. And so rehearse your baptism. What was it that got you to that place and remembered that day and, 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 and re claim that vow to the Lord and say, yep, that's who I am, God. The door has closed. The courtship is over. I belong to you. I'm going to recall this ceremony and celebrate it. By the way, we celebrate our anniversaries every year. We should be celebrating our baptisms, those of us that have come to faith in Christ. Even if you don't have a day, you should pick a day. You should call it a baptism day. You want one? April 12th. There you go. That's yours. (laughs) And celebrate it every year. The ceremony is powerful. So rehearse your baptism is the action item. Second action item, plan to be baptized. Make a plan to be baptized. If you've not been baptized, and there's all kinds of reasons why you haven't, and trust me, I have so much compassion on those of you who are like, I can't get up front, I don't want to be wet, I don't want to go public, my, my mom, like, I, un, there's, we totally get it. If you haven't been baptized, there's a reason and we want to talk about it and help you move toward this significant God-given part of your following Christ. We want to help you work through that. But plan to be baptized. Make a plan and step out in faith and take this, um, uh, have this experience that God has instituted for us as a powerful means of his grace in our walk with him. Some of you are like, well, I was baptized as a baby, but I don't know if I remember that. And I don't, and I don't let's, we'll talk about that. Or I was baptized when I was 13, but I was really stupid. Or I was baptized when I was 27, and I was really stupid. (laughs) No matter what age you're baptized at, you're really stupid is how it works. Like, we don't know what we're getting into when we say, I'll follow you, God. But we'll talk about that. There are ways to be re-baptized. There's ways to reaffirm your previous baptism. But plan to... Do you need to take a step in this to live in this, live out this step of baptism? We got a date on the calendar, by the way. We'll remind you. We'll, it's going to be the second January of the year, uh, second Sunday of the year, <laughs> January thirteenth. Um, I said it was gonna, this morning was going to be interactive. Just as you wrote Bible on a card, if you want a, a card, uh, a Bible, and put that in the offering plate, grab a different card and say, uh, I want to talk about baptism. Give me your email address. Or shoot me an email, jeff at marincovenant.org. One of our pastors will connect with you, and we'll talk about baptism. If you're not going to be ready, we're not going to force you. You get the tone of that, right? But we want to provide an entry into this most significant God-given experience.